You're listening to Track, Map, Measure with host Sean McIntosh, covering the latest thought leaders and technology in construction to understand what is building the world around us. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Track, Map, Measure. I'm your host, Sean McIntosh. Today I'm speaking with Scott Brown of Construction Technology Partners. Scott is a thought leader, technology advocate, and in this episode we dig a little deeper into Scott's career and his take on where contractors are finding their ROI, as well as break down some really great success stories where Scott and his partner have enabled contractors to do more with less. So we hope you stick around to listen. Scott, thanks so much for joining on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So for the audience listening, I've got Scott Brown of Construction Technology Partners joining me today. And also sitting in the co-host chair is my propeller colleague, Andrew Auer. Andrew, I'll let you introduce yourself quickly. Yeah, thanks for having me, uh, Sean. Uh, Scott, thanks for joining here. Um, yeah, excited to, excited to be here today. Perfect. So the reason I wanted to have Scott on today is Scott has a really strong career in construction and technology, beginning first by working for Qit, then prior to switching to the local CAT and SciTech dealer, then on to Komatsu as a TSE, and then finally branching off on his own to build a consultancy business structured around helping contractors adopt or improve on their current technology stacks. But uh, without taking too much of the window to your sales, Scott, I'll, I'll pass it over to you if you wouldn't mind going into your background a little deeper for us. Yeah, I can do that. So, yeah, once again, Scott Brown, Construction Technology Partners. We're based out of Kansas City, Missouri area. Um, so I grew up around here, uh, went to community college thinking I was going to be an automotive technology guy, work on cars just because that was a passion that I enjoyed. Realized that that's a tough business <laughs> after doing it for a little while. Ended up at Pittsburgh State University. It's in southeastern Kansas. Uh, got my bachelor's in diesel heavy equipment. Uh, really, we just got to play with dozers and motor graders and stuff for a couple of years. It was a good time. Uh, got out of school. Went to work for Kiwit uh, for about seven years as an equipment manager. Uh, awesome job. Got to see the you know the country and part of the world. Some of the biggest, neatest projects. Uh, but as time went on, that's a, that's a tough business with a, with a, if you want to start a family, you know, I did about eight States and in, in that time, um, from there, I had a couple, uh, prior Kiwit buddies that had went to work at the cat dealer, the local cat dealer here in Kansas city Foley. And one of them called me up and asked if I got tired of moving around. So I went in and actually interviewed as a, for a service manager position. And about halfway through the interview, one of the guys who was interviewing me looked at me and he's like, you don't want to do the service manager stuff, do you? I said, no, I don't. And so he, uh, he's like, well, what about just being a tech for us? You know, uh, started out working with my hands and, you know, after the stress of a couple of years of management, it seemed like a good idea. So I did that, uh, really enjoyed it. Um, but after a little time went on, saw an opportunity at SciTech, the Trimble dealer that was owned by Foley, and uh, was around Trimble equipment a lot at Kiwit. You know, uh, they were early adopters of the headed on just about everything. So I was like, well, let's give this a try. Uh, did that for a few years, really enjoyed that, but then had a new opportunity for to be a TSE for the Komatsu dealer, working on all the uh, Komatsu integrated machines. Um, Really great team, you know, good people I was working with over there. But uh, after about two years of doing that, really started to see a lot of opportunity out there to of customers wanting to do different things and, and do some stuff with mixed fleets and just kind of out-of-the-box stuff. Um, one of the guys I worked with at SciTech, 
uh, Zach Moorhead had gone out on his own and was supporting guys, um, you know, out of a back of a pickup. And, you know, we got to talking and after about six months of him trying to convince me one day, I just said, okay, let's do this. And we started a construction technology partners. That's a really awesome story, Scott. And let's, uh, I guess first let's go back to the days at Qit. So when you first came on and you were, um, you know, filling in more of a technology void, what, what did technology look like at that time? I, I mean, I can imagine it was a bit in its infancy. So, you know, I, you know, I, I learned so many things at Qit. One of the things that they were phenomenal at was pushing the envelope and trying new things, even if it was a massive failure, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, so one of the early things technology wise is we were big on telematics before telematics was even a thing. Uh, we were kind of, I'd, I'd almost say pioneering it. We were working with a lot of the early companies, exact track and OEM and these guys that a lot of people, I don't even honestly know if they're around anymore because I'm just not in that space. And a lot of the, uh, manufacturers have kind of taken over the void, you know, of telematics, but you know, we were doing stuff. We were spending tons of time and man hours trying to figure out how we could be more efficient at tracking and managing our equipment. And uh, so that was one thing that I think has really served me well is that not being afraid to try new stuff, you know, because as we can see now, telematics is a multi-billion dollar industry that's part of every piece of equipment that's out there from a quickie saw all the way up to a, a D11, you know. Um, so just, they were always trying to figure out a way to utilize technology. You know, I know we had iPads. I remember the first iPads that came out, we were putting those in foreman's hands. We were using iPad, uh, the iPod touches to do electronic daily visuals on machines to try to eliminate the paper process. So, you know, technology for me started from day one when I worked at Kiwit. So I think that's served a lot of my mentality uh, going forward and kind of put me where I'm at today to try to get these contractors that I work with today to understand that technology can be a hindrance, but if done properly, it can make your job a whole heck of a lot easier. Right. Yeah. As long as that learning curve is, is not too steep. Now just, <laughs> I caught something there and I want to make sure I heard it right. You say iPod touches were used. Yep. Yep. We used, I <laughs> yeah, we used iPod touches, uh, basically trying to keep guys off the internet, you know, but they had a, I wish I could remember the name of the, the program that we used. I could probably dig it up somewhere, but yeah, we basically had preloaded daily visuals, you know, for each machine. But what was cool about it is instead of writing, you know, oil leak on left track or whatever, they could do that, but then they could take a picture, you know, because what we realized is a lot of our time was, deciphering or interpreting what a particular operator had wrote up on a daily visual or trying to track him down and, and figure it out. So, you know, you know, one thing was they always did a great job of realizing if that took 0.4 man hours and a picture could eliminate that, that's, that's money, you know, because that 0.4 could be put towards something else more productive. And so that's a, that's a much bigger, picture mentality, you know, but on a scale, the size of Kiwit, the amount of man hours they did per year, you know, you almost have to be that efficient. So I think a lot of that, you can trickle down to these smaller contractors and they can be a lot more profitable just by picking up small efficiencies. Right. No, I absolutely see that. I mean, Andrew and I, we, we see that all the time uh, with the drone technologies. People look to adopt that. It's pe some people come through the door and, and they're looking at us saying like, 
I, we're, we're not large. You know that, right? Like we're, we're a 15, 20 man operation. I, I don't know if we're ready for drone technology yet. And the way I phrase it back is it was like, I mean, Hey, like you are only 15 to 20 guys. Like, don't you want to get the most out of every single employee you have? Learn how to run a little bit leaner, learn how to run a little bit meaner and, a drone can supplement the work of, of what someone might have to do for eight to 10 hours. hundred percent. And then just, I'd question them too, is how, how much time are you, do you have an individual or multiple individuals just tracking quantities and claiming quantities? You know, I mean, that can all be, you know, we realized this, uh, it was on a DFW connector job in Dallas. They started using drones on that job, but they realized you know, they have three or four engineers, you know, project engineers that all they're doing is tracking quantities trying to claim up and get paid and they realize that hey we can fly a drone up in the air and get real-time quantities daily and get these other guys deployed doing other things as opposed to sitting around trying to figure out how much dirt we moved yeah i I totally see that and that's a lot of it just becomes down to like you said an education of you know hey you're you don't it's not that you're not capable of this you almost need this to make it to the next level yeah, and Sean, to your point, to have something that is, you know, somewhat um, user-friendly. So, I mean, I, I feel like uh, a lot of the folks that we talk to uh, on a weekly basis there, it's finding the right fit, you know, finding a piece of technology that your your team can implement and use and, and, and understand pretty quickly um, where it's not going to involve this uh, lengthy uh, kind of training and whatnot. So I think it's it's really powerful when somebody can get a tool um, you know, relating to technology and can implement it right away and really see the, the, the benefits quickly. And the reason I think that the drone technology is really taking off to a certain point goes back to the same point that you made earlier, Scott, of what a single pitcher could do for efficiency. So you've got a single pitcher, say, if you're looking at, you know, the right track of a dozer or something is damaged and you take a single pitcher and that might cut out two to three man hours. And that's because I, I think just innately as humans, we're all incredibly visual people. We're visual learners. I know personally, like I can, if, if I'm going to read something or someone's going to draw out a visual of it, I'm going to retain that visual so much better than I would the text on a page. So it, it just seems like a natural progression that, that all the technology that we're getting now plays to that visual learning side where we've got, you know, drone technology that's doing a topo built from images. And you've got, you know, a lot of other great technology that's reality capture stuff, which is, you know, structure for motion, going in the inside of a building, getting an as-built. Um, it's just, it really is true that a picture is worth a thousand words. And I'm sure, you know, the technology that you sell and support, Scott, even, you know, as, as the developers kind of work to make it stronger, they're giving those operators better visuals in cab. They're going to be more 3D, kind of less, the, the use, less so of the old you know, uh, kind of very like 2d gaming stuff, less buttons, less text, more, yeah, more, more visual hundred percent. I mean, if you really look at it, you look at, you know, your, your phone, your apps on your phone, it's, it's the, it's almost the marketing recognition of, you know, you don't have to have a, a name underneath the Amazon button to know what app that is. You know what I mean? You, you you can instinctively look at it and then any any phone you pick up you know what amazon is on it so i think that's kind of the idea is 
building that awareness through visual. Yes, I, th- I think that's absolutely the direction everything's headed. Scott, with that being said, are you finding, I mean, you work with a variety of different roles uh, at these companies with a lot, you know, these folks have a lot of different background. Some might have went to some kind of technical college, somebody, you know, just a, a variety of the, the training and certifications that you see on site. Are you starting to see folks that might not have that technical background um, be empowered by some of the technology, whether it be propeller or drone surveying or, or you know, what have you? Are you seeing that kind of uh, bridge of the gap, if you will? Yeah, for sure. So I think a, a couple things. Um, I think you're right. There is a massive uh, range of different user experiences on site. You know, and it varies from customer to customer, from area to area. We're seeing a lot more, you know, young people come into the workforce. And I'll tell you, when I deal with those guys, the conversations or the trainings that normally take two hours or two days, those are, those are down to like 15 minutes just because they, they, they're they so used to this having technology in their hands. Um, but I think really one of the things we really try to focus on at CTP is trying to make a process that makes sense to the user. We don't try to say, hey, this is the way it has to be done. You know, if we got a guy who's a fairly inexperienced user, we try to say, okay, what is what are the steps that you need to know that you can get your job done? And so really try to break that down. And maybe that involves us taking one thing off of his plate that we do for him or, you know, getting someone else involved that can do that step. But really... That's the thing where I've seen guys really start to, you know, because if they feel like they have to know and do it all, that's when they'll kind of shut down and push away technology. But if we can simplify that down to, hey, here's the three tasks that you need to know how to complete. And here's a process that's easily repeatable on how to do those. I think that's when we really see people start to take off and get confident. And once they have those three under their belt and they go, okay. I've got that. What What's next? What's the next step I can do? And that's kind of how we try to grow people is, you know, sometimes I've, I, I've been a part of it. I've done it. You go out and you want to tell everyone about all these cool new features and everything it can do. And I'm a very technical guy. I dive way deep in and all this stuff. And then at the end of it, I just got these, you know, blank stares and I'm not really doing them any, any favors or any justice by doing that. So really trying to throttle that back and make sure we understand our customers and what they're trying to do so that we can tailor whatever information or system we're trying to do or process. So it's a lot of what we do is try to help people set up repeatable processes. By setting those up, we try to tailor to to fit their business. Scott, I think that's something that you and I chatted about when we first met was just, you know, the, I guess the under explanation of what something does or why it does something. You know, if you think of, if you think of uh, a rover, for example, it's like yes, you can teach someone how to move around that UX, how to actually go take a point. You know, here's your settings, here's kind of how you uh, migrate through that screen. But that means nothing to someone unless you can put it into a term that makes sense or, or show them at least a function that they'll be able to carry out with that tool. When you go to mark a point or stake a point, you have to tell them why it's important to stake that point. And I think you actually kind of rebuttaled that by bringing up uh, at least a contractor that you had worked with who was putting in an electrical easement and actually found that it was marked initially almost 30 feet off from, from where it was intended. 
and by you know you and your partner being able to coach them on what the rover could do for them they knew what to look out for when they went to the field would you mind just kind of like giving a little bit of background on that story if you wouldn't mind yeah yeah so that was a really cool one had a contractor really good group of guys really experienced a lot of years uh building building work under their belt um was doing a job and we we demoed a, a used basin rover system to them and i was out there when we got the site set up and we were doing some training and he had some guys getting ready to saw cut for an electrical easement into some asphalt and they had it all they had it snapped out and marked out and i, I just got looking at it and something didn't just seem right i think there's some benefit a lot of what i do i may be on site for 30 minutes or three hours but i'm not there all day every day so that hinders me in some ways, but I think in some way it helps me because I see stuff that these guys see every day and maybe they get a little used to it, but it looked, it looked funny to me. And so I went over and I brought it up and we took the rover over there and I kind of showed them because we had all of our saw cut and our easements lines, you know, in our, in our DXF and, uh, started looking at stuff and I'm like, I don't think this is the right, the, the right line. Well, what we come to find out is it was a 30 foot offset it just wasn't marked that way by the surveyor, just common mistake. But what we were able to do was verify where the actual line was at, get those guys moved. But if they, that, I think that line was like 330 foot long, you know, 30 foot offset. If they would have cut that and ripped that pavement out now, maybe they would have caught it prior to that. I can't speak to that, but you know, I think to that we saved them, you know, about 10,000 square foot of pavement that they would have ripped out and, Oh, you know, all from just doing some simple checks. And what we learned from that or what this contractor learned is, you know, I need to build into my site setup to my time as a project, getting out and checking these things and verifying them because, you know, that's the whole real purpose of this tool is to help me be more efficient and avoid that rework. Yeah, no, I, I love that story personally. And, and it's something that comes up a lot too when Andrew and I are working with our customers. Just people need a new perspective on the same thing that they're doing day in, day out. So in, in your case, you said you showed up and because it was like fresh eyes on something that they had been looking at, it stood out to you immediately. Uh, I think people, you know, as soon as they start at least looking at their site in a new way, which oftentimes it could be a drone topo, it can be that ortho photo or point cloud that they're viewing. They see things from a new perspective. I mean, obviously, you're looking at it from a top-down view, and you really start to kind of realize the scale of things. And I, I mean, I, I've found personally, I'm, I'm sure you have, Andrew, and the customers you worked with, that you know people catch these mistakes far more often than you would ever think. I think that's that's been one of the most surprising things to me is is how often little things like this are off in the design plans. And it's, it's just a matter of how far along in the job they get before it gets caught. So if you can catch it a little bit earlier on, then you're in a much better place than your contractor who's maybe built in a, you know, a, the same margin, but doesn't catch it till later in the job and they eat into their own profits by having to rework that. A hundred percent. And you just, you can never truly calculate the cost of something like that, of the effect of schedule all the materials, the man hours. I mean, you can get close, but you just never can truly see the impact of something like that. You know, of what the, you, it's really hard to put dollars to going back to keep it a little bit. That was something we spent a lot of time trying to figure out, you know, talking about equipment, 
what is the true cost of downtime? Because it's not just the machine being down, it's not the mechanic, it's not the parts, it's the it's the wall crew that was relying on that excavator to set panels that night, and now they don't have a machine. So now we're taking 10 guys on that wall crew and trying to find something them to do, and that, that schedule was affected by that wall being done for it to get backfilled, to, you know, and it just has such a trickle-down effect. It's such a bigger thing, you know, it, it may seem very present as as an issue, but it's such a big picture thing, you know, of, of, uh, that, that rework and that downtime. So that's why I think it's so, you know, if I had to put an overarching vision of what we're trying to do, and I think propeller is very much the same. We, we try, we're trying to get our contractors to shift from a reactive mentality to a much more proactive mentality and being proactive with technology i think is what's going to get them to that next level of efficiency because they're not getting paid a whole lot more money to move a yard of dirt today than they were 30 years ago so there's got to be some kind of efficiency gain that that's going to get them there yeah scott you brought up a great point with the schedule and tied into that being proactive not reactive is because a lot of the mid-size um, contractors that you know we work with and as, as well as you don't have the luxury of taking some of the hits if a, if a mistake isn't caught. If you've got you know, uh, a bust in on a site or whatnot and your margins are already low, some of those hits can turn those jobs upside down or you walk away breaking even. You've only got five or six of those throughout the year. Um, it's really kind of a, a, a crucial decision for owners, uh, owner operators, a lot of that, that we work with to say, I, I have to keep up with this because I don't have the ability to take a week or two or three days hit in my schedule and me miss a milestone date, um, not be able to get a payout out on time. And these guys have uh, crews that they've got to keep employed and whatnot. Um, it's, it's really great to see the technology filling in that gap and keeping the livelihood and the businesses kind of going and thriving, uh, especially with the lack of, of, of knowledgeable manpower out there. Um, for folks to be able to to lean into the technology, implement something that's going to make real time adjustments, uh, and not have to worry about um, you know losing out on something or missing uh, missing on something. No, hundred percent. It's one of those things. I I think it's a blessing and a curse to to have spent the the time working for a contractor who tracked their cost so stringently. But at the same time, I I feel there's times I'm on site where I'm more concerned about the, what, you know, the cost of per hour of what's going on <laughs> than the customer can be sometimes because I'm sitting there in my head watching a crew stand around and wait on me because the machine's down or whatever it is. And my head is just calculating right now, you know, the money that I'm costing my customer. And, and I think that's something that makes us good, but it also is a kind of a burden at times because it's, it's hard to turn that off. So Scott, you mentioned something uh, just a moment ago that was really interesting to me. You said the, the cost, cost per yard is not much different than it was. Did, did you say 20 years ago? Yeah, that's uh, most of my, you know, and I, you know, I've never been much in estimating. I dealt a lot with, you know, overall job cost, but uh, yeah, most of the contractors, you know, uh, I'd have to get, get with them and get exact numbers, but you know, most of them are telling me they're not getting paid any differently to move material now than they were 30 years ago. So that's where a lot of these efficiencies are having to come from. They're having to get leaner and meaner um, uh, to, to be able to do that, you know, so I think a lot of it comes from 
their capturing cost in other ways, whether, you know, you're looking at these design build contractors or procurement or, or whatever, they're finding other ways to kind of supplement that. But the, the actual just civil industry of just moving dirt from point A to point B has become incredibly competitive and razor margins. And uh, I think that's what's driving a lot of push towards technology as well as the the lack of the experienced or, or skilled labor. So I'm definitely seeing that competitive aspect too. I mean, it, it's, it's popping up all the time that if you ask someone like, well, you know, what, what is your play here? Why would you want to push into technology? It's, it's almost always growth. It's, it's the company want to grow. They're, they're, they're hungry and, and they're hyper competitive with the people around them and just don't know how to get that edge. So a lot of them look towards technology. And, and given that margins are already so slim, I mean, like, where do you and your partner come in and, and help a contractor say if if they come to you and says, you know, the developer has asked us to do something that's out of scope of work, you know, how can we use technology to to make sure that we're getting paid for this extra work? Like, where, where do you and your partner come in, in in that situation? Yeah, so I got a really good recent example of something like that. We had a, a contractor doing a large residential development. Um and they were asked by the developer to do something that was not in their initial scope of work. And they did a lot of work for this guy. And, and of course they did it and they did a good job. Um, but afterwards I got a call from one of the superintendents and he was kind of a little frantic. He was, they had moved all this material, but in the haste of doing it, they realized they didn't have a really good idea how much material they moved. And it wasn't so much that the developer wasn't going to pay them. They weren't worried about getting paid, but they wanted to have an accurate figure to give the developer to make sure that, you know, everyone was getting their fair shake. And so, uh, you know, I was fairly familiar with the job. I said, okay, well, let me come up there. Let's take a look at it. And I'm sure we can figure out something. Well, the nice thing is, is, you know, they're, they're a Topcon user. They had a Basin Rover. They were running machine control on this job. But we had a we had a design model. The area that they moved the material was already graded, so that made that life a little bit easier. And we just did a quick topo of where they took the material from, and then where they put the material to. And right there in the data collector, we were able to do some takeoffs and get some figures and print some stuff out. You know, save his save it and print it out that he could take to his developer. And he got eighteen thousand yards of material paid for. You know, and I was there for about an hour, hour and a half. So I, that's a pretty good return on investment for me being there um, and, and helping him through that. And then not only that, he was like, just the value he got out of learning that, how to do that. He just, he's had this, this setup for oh, probably a year and a half or more and didn't know that was a capability. And he's like, I'm going to do this on all my jobs just so I know what's in my stockpiles and this, that, and the other. So the next step for him is, you know, as big a project as they're doing is we're, we're talking about drones, but just for him for quick takeoffs and stuff, he, uh, was really blown away by that capability and didn't know that he had that ability in his hands the whole time he was, he was utilizing that Rover. So, you know, I think that was where we, you know, ever since we were able to add that value and, and show them that it's a, it's simple. They want to learn more. They want to understand how they can do better and make sure they get all that, all those costs and, and opportunities captured. Yeah. I mean, 18,000 yards is nothing to bat an eye at especially in a world where the, the margins are so slim. Oh, 100%. And, you know, and like I said, they had most of our contractors around here are fantastic people who have great relationships with a lot of owners and developers. They would have got paid, but his biggest concern was is he didn't want to tell them, you know, hey, we moved 20,000 yards or 25,000 yards. And then, and, you know, it was, but 
after I showed him that he can give him a real number to go back with, he was, he felt so good. He's like, man, this is great. Cause I want to take care of these guys, you know? And, and it's really nice when you can stick, you know, whether it's a report out of propeller, you know, a cut fill report or out of your data collector and show some actual data, some actual evidence. That's so much better than someone coming to you and say, Hey, you owe me for 20,000 yards of material. Yeah. <laughs> That's a little easier pill to swallow. So I know you and your partner are primarily servicing kind of like the Kansas, Missouri area, but I mean, as we've all seen during this pandemic, you can support people remotely from far away. I guess it, for someone who's looking to get into technology or someone who's looking to get more out of equipment that they already have, what's, what's a good avenue to start? You know, should they come to you? I guess, how do you prefer to be contacted? The situation. Yeah, so we're uh, we just partnered up with a local marketing company. We're getting a new website built, and one of the things we're trying to do on our website as well, just in general, uh, is establish a lot of free content. And a lot of that is more how-to at the moment, but we're hoping to do a whole lot more product review, um, just kind of overviews of terminology. Really, just trying to put as much information out there as we possibly can. So we've got a YouTube channel. Uh, LinkedIn, both Zach and I are on LinkedIn. I try to post as much on there as I can. You can reach out uh, directly via email or heck, you can call, text, anything. Anything is available. Um, but what we're really trying to do is put as much free content out there to try to get people to understand and kind of self-educate a little bit. I think too many people rely on a, a dealer or a salesman to educate them. And I think that can be a little misleading. So what we want people to do is kind of educate themselves a little bit and talk to someone like, you know, our whole premise of our company was we want to support people in their needs, regardless of brand. Um, we, we just are trying to do the right thing to, to help our customers utilize technology. Um, so YouTube website, LinkedIn is probably the best places to get, get us. Uh, all of our stuff should be in our YouTube bio as well. Um, we are a dealer for Hemisphere GNSS. It's a company based out of Scottsdale, Arizona. Have a really great product called Grade Metrics and Site Metrics, which is a is targeted to be more of an entry level uh, GNSS system for dozers, excavators. We're working on scrapers, but a low price point, easy user interface. We also represent uh, iDig, which is a great 2D excavator system for guys doing uh, foundations. Uh, you know, uh, electrical conduit lines, uh, you know, building footings, so on and so forth. A really nice, simple system. Um, we did some content with uh, AEM, which who, who owns ConExpo, ConAg. Uh, we did a recent thing with them called Tech Talks. Um, so what they did is they compiled a bunch of people from the industry and tried to address uh, just common common areas of interest. And so log on there to AM Tech Talks, and there is a just a massive library from people way smarter than me talking about every topic you could think of uh, related to GPS. And AEM is committed to, to doing a lot more stuff like this. So I, I'm hoping they'll allow us to be a part of that in the future and, and grow that. I think uh, that's going to be a really good thing. Uh, we were going to, it's going to be in person. They were going to do a, a convention, but you know, with everything going on, we did it online, but I think a, in the years to come, there will be a, a more in-person aspect to that. But those are probably the easiest ways if you want to get a hold of us. Uh, yeah, we're, we're available. We do this all the time. I get lots and lots of messages on LinkedIn. 
with people inquiring about, hey, what is your business? What are you doing? I think there's a lot of people interested in a similar model to like what we're doing. Um, and then just a lot of questions, you know, because people are like, man, I see you posting Tremble, Topcon, Leica, Hemisphere. What the heck do you do? You know, and I get a lot of questions about the different brands and different equipment out there. So I really enjoy that. I try my best to stay up on everything that's coming out, but I like the challenge of people asking me stuff I don't know about because then I get to go learn about it. That's awesome, Scott. Yeah. And and I think the fact that you just play the field, you don't worry about the technology brand necessarily, but just its function could could really benefit a lot of different contractors. And guys, I mean, for the listeners that have made it this far into the podcast, um, as you've seen, I mean, from the stories that Scott has from the field, from his extensive background at Qit, as well as in, in uh, technology dealerships, he's going to be able to help you, whether it's finding electrical easements out of place, if it's, uh, you know, in helping ensure you get paid or even in bid verification. Uh, I know Scott and his partner recently took up drone surveying too. So there are a lot of different services that they can offer, all of which are really to look at the big picture and help you get more with less using technology. So Scott, I want to thank you again for joining uh, the show today. Yeah, I appreciate it, Sean. It was awesome. Yeah. And uh, Andrew as well. Thanks for sitting in as the uh, co-host. Yeah, absolutely. No, Scott, uh, appreciate you sharing the time with us. And uh, I will be linking the information to Scott and his partner's company, Construction Technology. So uh, it, within the show notes, you'll be able to click click from there, jump right over Scott's LinkedIn, shoot him a, a message uh, if you'd like to chat. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll uh, speak to you soon.